0: Mark chapter 6, uh, 45 to 56. And uh, we're focusing on, this morning, on this this passage which um, immediately follows the story of the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Uh, What I'm going to do, you'll find I I actually do more of an overview of the whole chapter before I get to my bit. So if you wonder where I'm going, uh, it's just to set the scene. So Mark chapter 6, 45 to 56. Uh, Immediately, that's straight after feeding the 5,000 and uh, everybody's had their fill. Immediately he, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And When evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region, began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as had touched it were made well. As usual, I've given myself uh, three points just to hang my comments on. We have the situation, the encounter, and the miracles. Now, if you read the whole of, of uh, Mark chapter 6, uh, rather than break it into sections, you, you find that there's a continuing theme that goes all the way through this chapter, and it's one of busyness. It's busyness, and I thought it's so, it's so relevant for us today in our busy, busy culture. Uh, Jesus, uh, right at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus sent out the twelve disciples in twos. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. Uh, And so they'd been going about from place to place, preaching that people should repent of their sin. Uh, They'd been casting out demons, healing the sick. And they returned from that, probably quite tired from that rather amazing time of ministry, telling Jesus all that had happened. The way people had responded to their teaching. The way many had been healed. Even demons cast out of people. They were buzzing. Do you know, what I, you know what I mean by buzzing? Have you ever sort of been pumped up and your, You're just... You've had a great time and you're buzzing. Do you, Does that happen to anybody? Yeah? You know, you're just on a high. Well, I tell you, there's no high greater for me than preaching. So, you know, when I finish preaching, I'm buzzing, right? I'm ready to take on the world. And, and these guys have been out in ministry. They've been healing the sick and, and people have been getting healed and all sorts of amazing things happen. And they come back and they're buzzing. Wow! Look what happened. People got healed. Demons were cast out. Wow. The disciples in Luke 10, 20, in this account of this story, we're told Jesus said to them, "Hold just a moment, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. They're buzzing it's a bit like Jesus said, well done, guys, but make sure that you keep the main thing, the main thing. We're not careful in these days. We get so preoccupied with the supernatural, with signs and wonders and amazing and amazing, we get buzzing, and actually the main thing is Jesus. The main thing has always got to be the main thing. Your name's written in heaven. You're a child of God. That's We, we praise him for that. So the meeting started today. I felt interesting what Surish said about having times of being dry uh, and needing sort of rehydrating, as it were. I felt God say this, tell people to praise themselves out of it. What I mean by that is the answer to, to it all. If you're feeling low, praise God. If you're, if you're buzzing, praise God. But if you're p- feeling low, then deliberately, intentionally, through gritted teeth, start praising God. You will find it changes you and it breaks you free. Because praise, God is always worthy of praise. Always worthy of praise. Do I do that all the time? Not always, but I do try to. I really do try to live that way. So the guys are buzzing. They're probably tired. Jesus says, come down a little bit, guys. Just let's keep the main thing, the main thing. And then verse 31, Jesus said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, it says, and they had no leisure even to eat. They, they didn't have time for dinner. I mean, that's serious. Don't, don't you think that's serious? You find over and over again, the poor disciples always seem to miss out on food. And they're always talking about food and bread. And we, we haven't had our bread. We haven't had our food. And they hadn't had any time to eat. And so Jesus said, come on, guys, you're tired. Time to go away. Somewhere quiet. Let's have a rest. Let's take a nap. Okay? Let's let's eat some food, just chill out. Do you know that sound appealing? In a busyness? Yeah, yeah. Have a good rest. But the crowds who were following Jesus had seen them go in the boat, realized we know where they're going. They're going off to that desolate place they're like. And so while the disciples crossed the lake in the boat, the people ran around, gathered others, and as the as Jesus and the disciples arrived, For their rest, the crowds had already started to gather. Ha! What joy! Hallelujah! Lots of people came to church today. Oh. Oh, the crowds. I wonder what the disciples felt like. They'd been giving out and giving out and giving out, and they'd missed their food, and they were tired, and they'd been promised a a rest. Uh, How do you think they felt? There's all these people. Perhaps a little bit less than gracious. Apparently when I get tired, I get like that, according to Jean. I don't realize I do, but she'll say, do you know how rude you were? I'm never rude. Well, you were. You just get peopled out. You know that thing when you think, oh, here we go again. And it's not that I don't love people. You just run out of steam. And the disciples have probably run out of steam. And they were less than gracious, maybe perhaps even grumpy. Anybody ever get grumpy? Oh, yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. Do you ever get grumpy, Raj? Oh, even Raj gets grumpy, so you know. Sorry? Even Raj, yes. But interestingly, however the disciples were, we're told that Jesus, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He'd given and given and given, and here, here they are again, and he has compassion on them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Why? Because Jesus is the good shepherd. And so rather than send them away, Jesus starts teaching them again. And he starts teaching them many, many things. And we're not told what these many things are, but they would all be in line with what we know Jesus taught through the rest of the Gospels. Things about the nature of God and his kingdom. Things about how to live your life for God and not for yourself. Things about the nature of life and eternity. Jesus just kept going probably late afternoon and he's still going and the people are hanging on his every word just love being in his presence why would they do that because peter says to us or peter said to jesus in john 6 68 you have the words of eternal life Jesus is the one who spoke all of creation into being. Jesus is God the Son. We'll see more about that in a minute. But he has the words of eternal life. And to sit and listen to Jesus teach you, what an opportunity. You don't get bored when Jesus teaches you. Your son, these are words, they are life-giving words. They give meaning and purpose. And you start your understanding is growing and growing. And and, and He's at the same time, he's probably healing a few here and there. And the crowd are just wrapped focused on Jesus I love that I think I'd like to have been one of the crowd wouldn't you like to have been one of the crowd I'd like to have just been there and because I I can get bored after an hour but they were there probably for quite a few hours listening to Jesus I'd like the opportunity see if I got bored or not wouldn't you Just to be in his presence. Wow. Eventually, the disciples had had enough. Imagine Jesus is in mid-flow and they come up, Lord, Lord, it's getting late now and this is a desolate place. Uh, Send the people away so that they can go somewhere and buy food. What they really meant was, we are hungry and very tired, and we came for a rest and to eat, and you've accommodated the crowd long enough. You've been teaching them for hours. The subtext is, we're fed up. Yeah? You see, we get like that. We, we kind of think, oh, all these guys will put. No, no. The, you, there's loads of stuff in here where we see them focusing on things like their food, they're tired, they're weary. Remember in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane when, when, when Jesus wants uh, Peter, James, and John to, to pray with him and they keep falling asleep. They, they, they mean well, but they, they, you know, they aspire to a lot, but they don't deliver a lot. Anybody ever feel like that? You aspire to great things in God, but you somehow run out of steam. Any, anybody ever felt, you know, I'm going to take on the world. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to see revival in said, Somehow you can't get beyond your dinner. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 tough, but that's the reality. Real people, real guys. We're fed up. And so you know Jesus. You'd think he'd have compassion on these poor guys who'd done the ministry, they had done the stuff. He told them to rest and eat. And you know what he says? Well, you better feed these people then. They're indignant. Oh, Lord, we couldn't even, we couldn't, it's going to take half a year's wages to do that. We can't do that. So Jesus said, come on, what food is there here? Just a lad with five loaves and two fish. So we know the story. Jesus blesses it. And then he says to the disciples, now you put them in rows of 50 and you feed them. And of course, they're all fed and there's 12 baskets full of food left over. Now, why have I gone through all of that? Because that's not my bit, is it? Because what I'm dealing with in the next few verses, we need to understand the preceding verses to to understand my verses. The crowd are fed. Jesus immediately makes the disciples get in the boat, head back to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus dismisses the crowd. we do well to focus for a minute on what Jesus does next. Roger's already mentioned it. He goes up alone, alone, on the mountain that was nearby to pray. As I've been preparing this, I've had an increased sense of God reminding me again of the vital part that prayer must play in our lives if we're to be effective as the people of God. I mean vital part. And I know what it's like, you know. (laughs) Sometimes people think leaders are made of different stuff, but I assure you, Prayer is hard work. I can fall asleep in prayer. I can get, lose concentration and be thinking about other things like model railways or, you know, all sorts of creative things that just, my brain goes off. I suddenly start thinking about an electronic circuit. I know I'm sad, but that's just what happens. And you try, you're trying to focus on prayer and say, oh Lord. Not easy. Jesus had given out all day. He had his own group of guys and they're learning to be effective in ministry, but now Jesus needs to be alone to pray. He didn't even have a prayer meeting with his team, which is what we probably would have done. Not that there's anything wrong with corporate prayer meetings. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. They are vital. But I do wonder if our corporate prayer meetings would be much more effective if our personal prayer Was more diligent and that I don't say that I say that full of grace but if our personal prayer lives were more diligent and more persistent I think our corporate prayer meetings would have even more power that's just by the way what you see with Jesus is throughout his throughout the Gospels time and time again we see Jesus heading off to a solitary place to pray and he doesn't just pray for half an hour, he prays for hours. Seems to pray for hours, an hour here, an hour there, up a mountain all night praying. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to do that, how much more do we? And and yet it cuts across everything of our comfort. All the things we struggle with. And I, I, I'm not saying this in any way to manipulate. It's got to be done in grace. It's got, we pray because we desire to pray. We pray because we decide, we choose. I want, I want to pursue you, God. And it doesn't mean, if we don't pray, it doesn't mean God doesn't love us. All I'm saying is, there's an adventure he takes us on, where if we want to really fulfill and maximize our potential, we need to be following Jesus, learning from Jesus, and pressing into a secret place with God, where mysteries are revealed and power is imparted. And that's my, I can't do that for you, and you can't do that for me. As you obviously just realized <laughs> I'm about to start a two-month sabbatical. Ooh. Strange word, sabbatical. Just means dossing around for a couple of months, really. Seeking God, though. Resting. Things like that. Going to see parents. The, the two months will go just like that, I know. And actually, you can go through two months and not not deal with and not accomplish the times in prayer that God has for you. And I need to be diligent about that. I know some people think sabbaticals are a waste of time. And they can be if you don't use it right. But my intention is to spend chunks of time with God. My intention is to do that. My intention also is to try and write some things. and I've got all sorts of thoughts on a number of things, and I want to just get them on paper. But chunks of time with God... Now, here's, here's the rub. Without email... Without, with the mobile phone switched off, no texts, with no radio, no TV, no music, just silence. How are we doing, guys? Looking at the younger element. Does that appeal to you? We live attached to communication, don't we? Even us older ones, you know Gene has a mobile, sorry you're not one of the older older ones, but <laughs> <laughs> shoveling, digging the big, Gene has, who's not that big on technology, has mastered the use of a mobile phone and thoroughly enjoys it, but you know what, if you're not careful you get, you become its slave. Do, you be, do anybody know what I'm talking about? You become its slave, it's it's, it's, it's interesting. I remember when we went to Turkey a, a number of years ago on holiday, and um, th- there was a guy, probably in speedos or something, but he was standing right out on a rock, looking, you know, like I'd love to look. A bit like that. And he was there on his mobile. And I thought... One, I thought, where does he keep it? But But... Cause just how my mind works. But, 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 but I, I thought, could, could you not just go and stand on a rock and look at the sea and the vista without a mobile phone? Just bizarre. Where have we got to? It's like soon we'll be having them transplanted into the, into the ear so that you just press a button. Oh, yeah. I mean, the technology's there. You can do it already just about. We laugh, but, but it becomes communication, 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 to the point where there's no silence anymore. And the thing about if you want to hear God, God doesn't dance to our tune. We have to dial down and listen. And Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And my challenge is this. Would you notice if he spoke? Would you notice if he spoke? Would you notice if God speaks in the noise? Challenge for me. And so I will be, much of the time, mobile phone will be off. The challenge for me will not be that much. It will be actually turning off music because I love music. I can prepare my sermons to all sorts of music that Gene goes, What on earth is that? You know, some, some heavy classical stuff or some jazz, it doesn't really matter. I just love music. But I just feel God said, No, nothing. Silence. Wow. Jesus had a pattern in his life of taking time to go and be with Father, to go and pray pour out his heart, to get refreshed, and to listen. Now, you don't need to take two months off to do that. But I feel Jesus would remind us this morning to keep the main thing, the main thing in our walk with him. And it's actually our first call and our first responsibility is to pursue God. It's not all the things we can do, and we can do, oh, let's see Teesside transformed, and we can run this course and that course. All of those are excellent things, but our first priority, our first calling, is to pursue God, personally and corporately. One of the things I, I've become very aware of is Jesus built his church, and Jesus' church is community. But what we do if we're not careful is we build institutions, not communities. We organize the life out of everything. We have these plans and strategies and everything has its place. But Jesus doesn't build like that. He builds relationally. He builds speaking to us. He builds by his spirit. He calls us to love one another and care for one another. And out of that life of love and care, there's an overflow of blessing to a lost and dying world. But that's That happens when we let him be in charge. When we take charge, we build an institution, a structure. I'm not despising institutions, but that's not the church. The church Jesus is building is pursuing God, is for God, his people, worshipping him, hearing his voice, doing what he says. So Jesus in his earthly ministry said, I only do what I see the Father doing. But Lord, there's this and there's this. No, I only do what I see the Father doing. How could he do that? Because he spent time with the Father. He listened to his voice. We live in a world, really, where there's some people I know, some not, not in Jubilee, but there's some leaders I know, and I've struggled over the years with this, where I'd meet them and think, well, I'm not like you. I must be deficient sort of leaders who would have three good ideas before breakfast. You ever met them? It's like, oh, and here's a new thing, and another new thing, and another new thing. And I'm not despising that gift, but the problem with three new ideas before breakfast is, what about pursuing God? What about pursuing God for God? What about waiting for Him? What about waiting until you hear His voice? And then we have some God ideas. We love our good ideas and say, God, would you bless our good ideas? And God says, well... I'm gracious and I might, but you know what? Why don't you wait for me and let me be God among you and I'll bring some better ideas than you've ever thought possible. And then we'll go on an adventure. That prophetic thing I've had about the doors, it's like God says, come on and come and pursue me through these new opportunities and see where I will take you. Because I know as soon as you say, oh, there's a door of opportunity opening, we immediately go, oh, that means what might, what, what's the outcome? What's, no, no, God says the outcome is Him pursuing Him, focusing on Him. It's an adventure. As I shared that, Gene just reminded me when I got back where, where we go on holiday in Turkey, we have been sad. We've been there so many times. Our name is on the door in brass, it's our room. These doors I'm talking about are doors of adventure. And I feel God says, I'm opening them for you. And I'm here to welcome you in. Will you come on the adventure? And it's for everyone in Jubilee. It's it's not just Jubilee, not limited to Jubilee, but I feel particularly it's relevant. And I feel God says, it's right now. It's right now. It's beginning something fresh in you right now. It's here for you if you want it. Anyway, I'd better move on. Just encourage you to make sure that we give some time to solitude and to undisturbed time with Jesus. Second point is the encounter. We'll go on verses 47, 48. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. It's unlikely that Jesus could physically see the boat on the sea. It'd be dark by now. Jesus is high up on a mountain. I would suggest the Holy Spirit is revealing to him. In the Spirit, He could see them struggling against the elements, wind blowing against them. And these are a lot of these guys are fishermen. You know, they, they know how to do it. And so what we're told is that in the fourth watch of the night, which is sometime, sometime between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., you know that time of night when we're all so wide awake, or not? Right? This, this is the middle of the night. This is this is beyond two. This is three o'clock, four o'clock. They're still trying to get to the other side, and Jesus comes to them, walking on the Sea of Galilee. And guess what? They were terrified. I think that's quite understandable. Do, do you? The middle of the night. You you know you, oh, and the wind and. You you, you could just, this guy is walking, walking on by, actually. It says he wasn't going to stop. He was walking on by. I actually think, it's not said, but I think whether he stopped or not depended on their faith response. There's a whole sermon there. Whether he stopped or not and got in the boat was dependent on their response. They thought he was a ghost, but Jesus speaks it. Don't, don't take heart, sigh, don't worry, don't be afraid. Interestingly, in Matthew's rendering of this story, he, he tells us how Peter calls out, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. And Jesus says, come, and we know the story. And Peter gets out and steps on the water a little way, and then he becomes aware of the elements, and then he starts to sink and shouts, Lord, save me. And Jesus had to grab him and pull him up, and, and Jesus says to Peter. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, dear. You know, we don't need much, do we? We only need a grain of mustard seed. But he's saying to Peter, who's just about to go down and sink into the Sea of Galilee, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Oh, Lord, help us, is what I think. It's interesting also that Mark doesn't tell us that bit of the gospel the, in his in his gospel it doesn't mention Peter walking on water at all, and and interesting that Mark is probably the story of Mark is told is telling the, through the eyes of Peter, he's, he's writing the gospel it's Peter's gospel really he's writing it on behalf of Peter that's that's what's presumed, so why did Peter choose to leave it out I don't know but maybe he didn't want his lack of faith to be told throughout history, you know. I mean it's a bit self like, oh the Lord said to me oh you of little faith and I sank and he had to rescue me oh and all of the future for generations will know that story you probably think I'll just leave that bit out yeah I'm not say or it could be and, and and let's lift him up a bit here he didn't want the focus of the story to be about him because it isn't about Peter walking on the focus of the story is not about Peter walking on the water. Now it, it, it is part of the story. What, what Mark does make clear however is that the disciples together welcome Jesus in the boat. they responded in faith and he, he gets into the boat and immediately the wind calms down. And then again we're told something that I feel we need to focus on for a few minutes we're told the disciples were utterly astounded for they did not understand the loaves. They didn't understand the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Uh, It kind of jumped out at me, that phrase, as I was preparing. I thought, they didn't understand the loaves. Well, hmm, what's that mean? I'm sure they understood that they all got fed because they ate it. They'd have some food that way. They saw the crowds that had their fill, and they saw the baskets that were left over. So what was there not to understand? But then I I began to think wider. I was praying into this, and it it got me thinking about why Jesus did all these amazing miracles. In John chapter 2, we read how Jesus changed water into choice wine, and he made far more wine than could be sensibly drunk at a wedding, or even nonsensibly drunk drunk at a wedding. There was just gallons and gallons of the best wine. We're told in John 2.11 that this was the first of his signs. Jesus did this, the first of his signs. Jesus did it at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. So we see that the things Jesus did the changing water into wine, the feeding of the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, the feeding of 4,000 with seven loaves and a few small fish, which we'll look at when we get to chapter 8 of Mark. All these things were done as signs that would reveal, that would manifest his glory. That's what it's all about. That's what the feeding of the 5,000 is about. And that's what the disciples didn't get. They didn't get the fact that Jesus was God. They didn't get the fact that Jesus, their friend, was none other than than God the Son, the one who spoke all of creation into being. And all of this was written down so that we, 2,000 years later, can understand that the one who is our Savior, the one who gave his life for us is is not just a good, righteous man, The one who gave his life for us is not just a great healer and miracle worker. The one who took upon himself humanity and came to earth as a little baby. The one who lived a sinless life and died a cruel death. The one who loves us with everlasting love is none other than God the Son. And the enormity of that is growing on me and growing on me and growing on me. God the Son. He wants us to know Him. But He's God. We bring Him down. We, there's a book written years ago called Your God is Too Small. Anybody ever read that? No? We make God in our own image. And we imagine and we say, oh, Jesus, He died for me. Do you understand who He is? He's God. I, I was, again, I lost going through my mind this morning as we were, we were uh, worshipping. And I, 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 I just felt God saying, you know what? You think of your emotion." Are you an emotional person? Do you feel things? How much more does our God, who is so majestic, his emotions must be immense and awesome and incredible. Imagine the emotion of the Godhead as the second person of the Trinity is wrenched, die. Can you imagine? He's the one who loves us. He's the one who died for us. He's the one who needs to be revealed. His love His love compelled him to come. His love for us. His love for Teesside. His love for a lost and dying world. It's him we proclaim. Throughout his earthly ministry, he did sign after sign that would reveal his glory, that would manifest his glory to those whose hearts were open and could see. So when we read in Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea, we're not saying, oh, the world, people say God exists. We're not talking about that. It'll not be debatable. It's knowledge of the glory and the majesty and the splendor of God will one day fill the earth. There'll be no place on earth where His glory and majesty is not seen in all its fullness. That's what we live for. That's what we hope for. Our Jesus, our magnificent King. When He comes again in all His glory, we'll be changed and we'll be like Him, which is amazing. But it's Him we proclaim. It's Him who is revealed throughout. Throughout the you know you know I just find it so exciting. I'm kind of caught up in this at the minute. See, if you're struggling with life, if you're finding you need to see Jesus, I don't mean just just the man although he's a wonderful man, he's sinless. I don't mean just the man, the good man hanging on a cross. I don't mean just a good man dying. I don't even just mean a man coming back to life. I mean, you need to see Jesus in all his majestic glory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who spoke creation into being, humbled himself and became obedient to get to death. He actually took upon himself humanity. He limited himself to this human frailty and this human form to live amongst us, to be with us so that he could live a life and die a death and, ru- and break the power of death for you and for me. He became sin for us. God, himself, nothing less. That's amazing. That's glorious. That's the gospel. Isn't it? it That's the gospel. He, this glorious one, became sin for you and I, that we might have life, that we might be free, that we could live for eternity knowing and walking with God. That's what we're about. Everything we're called to do has, a, has at its heart the call to reveal the glory of God to our world. That's why the event on the mountain in Mark 9 that we will look at is so important. Where he goes up the mountain and with Peter, James and John is revealed there and it says his glory is revealed. And they're on their face. They couldn't look at him. We're called, and everything we do as the people of God, preach the gospel, make disciples, teach truth, heal the sick, cast out demons, care for the poor, we're called to do it to reveal his glory to our lost and dying world. We're called to do it so that people will see Jesus. That's what we're about, nothing less. I'm not called to heal the sick just so the sick get better, although it's nice for the sick to get better. Healing is not an end in itself in the kingdom of God. Healing is a revelation of the glory of God. It's a revelation of a coming kingdom. It's a revelation of a majestic king. Miracles. Everything we're about is for him. Our focus is him. Everything about is for his glory and his honor. And so my prayer more and more, and my prayer this morning is, Jesus, come and be God amongst us. Come and be God amongst us. Please don't let us mold you into our image. Please don't let's limit you in our perspective of you. Please be God amongst us. Please please overwhelm us with your majesty and your splendor. Please give us a glimpse that's life-changing. You see, only that way will Teesside be changed. It'll only be changed if Jesus is revealed to Seaside. We can all do good things and care for the poor and all those things, and all of them are good. But unless Jesus is revealed in Teesside, nothing will change. People need to know Jesus and see Jesus. That's why the Apostle Paul said to uh, to to the (laughs) the Corinthians in his letter, 1 Corinthians 2.2, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. We're called to preach about Jesus Christ. People not only need to know they're loved, but they need to know who loves them. You see, I want to pick on on Raj again. I I might love Raj very much. (laughs) You wonder where I'm going now. (laughs) And I do. And I love Simon very much. And I love you all very much. And that's very nice. And people say, oh, you're a father and all that's very nice. But that's just me. We need to know who loves us. It's nice to know you're loved, but if we're looking for people to meet that need, we'll never be satisfied. We need to know we're loved by God Himself. We're loved by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We are loved with an everlasting love. It's amazing. He demonstrated it, and actually, the revelation of that love to our hearts will change everything about our lives. The King of Glory loves you. The King of Glory loves Teesside. The King of Glory loves our nation. The King of Glory loves the nations. He is awesome. He's amazing. He is God the Son. And then just a few, two or three minutes on the miracles. As we go on from verse 53 in our reading, and they've crossed over to the land of Gennesaret and moved moved up on the shore. And as soon as they get out of the boat, the busyness starts again. The news spreads like wildfire. Jesus and his disciples are here. The people flocked to Jesus, bringing those who needed healing out into the streets, laying him on bed wherever they went just so that he, they could touch him. There's clearly a season of miracle upon miracle upon miracle. The revelation of who Jesus is is just expanding and expanding and expanding. people are running to him as many as have touched him' we're healed. that's no limits. It wasn't some got healed and some didn't. As many as who touched him were healed. God the Son was in their midst and they came from far and wide. As we begin to reveal his glory more and more to our families, to our neighbours, to our work colleagues, to the whole of side, then eventually news will start to spread like wildfire. And the news will be Jesus and his disciples are here. That will be the news. That's that is us, the church. We are the disciples of Jesus. We're also the body of Christ, and so we. So where we are, Jesus is, and His glory is more and more revealed. I want G, I want His glory to be revealed in my street. I want his, his glory to be revealed to my neighbors. I want his glory to be revealed to, 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 to Middlesbrough and Stockton and Teesside. I want his glory to be revealed. I want people to get to the point where the news headline in the paper is Jesus and his disciples are here. And people are flocking and saying, what, what can we do? They start running. We, we, want, to, we want Jesus. We, we, he, he, we see who he is now. Is this a pipe dream? No, I don't believe so. but I believe when we reach that point where people start to say Jesus and his disciples are here and as the news starts to spread so revival will have begun in Teesside what do I mean by revival? I mean the masses turning to Jesus I don't mean just an outbreak of signs and wonders as good as that is I mean people in their tens and twenties and hundreds and thousands turning to Jesus, running to Jesus. I I see a day coming when someone will knock on my door and say, what must I do to be saved? I see it. And if you look at church history through the times of revivals when masses and masses Huge population centers ran. All were running to Jesus. What you'll see is they were knocking on doors. What must I do to get saved? It's an outbreak of the glory of God. That's what it is. It brings conviction. It brings a sense of, I need to get right with God. We cannot manufacture that, but we must reveal him in every way we can. We live for his glory and honor. I'm believing God for a world-wide revival in our day. It's not been our experience, although parts of the world right now are seeing astonishing things. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are being born again. Astonishing things. I'm living for it. I think it's worth giving your life for. Don't you? I love that song, we used to sing, I want to give my life to something that will last forever. I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation. As long as I've got life, and I'm getting older, but I tell you this, and I'm sure there's doors before me and Jean, just as there is before all of us. I, I don't see those doors taking Jean and I away from Jubilee. Anything's possible with God, but I don't have any sense of that. But there's new adventures, and there's new things. But it's all about revealing the glory of God everywhere we go. It's all about seeing the glory of God come to Teesside, to Tanzania, to Turkey, to other places we're involved in. And unless we're doing it for that, we're not doing it. We, We might as well just stay home. But there's a calling on us as a people. There's a calling on us. And no one's excluded No one's left out. It's not like, oh, well, that's just for the leaders. No, no, everyone. There's a calling on you guys, you young guys, your students and others. There's a calling on you. There's a door for you right now for you to say, yeah, Lord, take me on this adventure, please. I don't know what it'll mean for you, but it's there. And for us who are somewhat older, the adventures are still there. And for all you in between, the adventures are there. Do you want to grab it or do you want to just go, oh, well. It'd be so easy. I watch so many church leaders get to my age and go, oh, well. That's me done. Perish the thought. You're stuck with me for a while yet. It's for his glory. Are we up for giving him glory? Are we up for that? It would be good to stand. Can we stand want to pray for us. I don't really want to sing, to be honest. I, I, I just deflect. I just want to pray for us. And if you want prayer, there's some things were shared before. It'd be good if you came out for prayer. Um, just come and stand out here, and a team of people will pray for you. And if you're responding to things and you want prayer, if you want healing this morning, but I just want to pray for us as a church. And I'm not going to rush it. Is that all right? So just let's focus our attention. Just get focused on Jesus. It's not like the final prayer we go home. Let's just focus on Jesus for a a few minutes. Lord Jesus, we honor you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We declare that you are God the Son. You are the one in all your glory and majesty who spoke creation into being. You are the one who loves us with an everlasting love. You are perfect in all your ways. Your love is beyond understanding and greater than we can fathom. God, we declare that we desire and we want your glory to be manifest in our lives, through our lives, in the church of Jubilee, for you, for your honor, for your glory, for, for, to, for your praise. It, it's just for you. It's not, it's not for us. It's not even for Teesside. First and foremost, it's for you. Because you are worthy. Because you're worthy, Lord Jesus. You're worthy. We want to be able to join with the elders and all the others that we read of in Revelation and say, worthy are you. You are worthy, O Lord. Majestic King. Oh God, would you be God amongst us? Would you come and invade us? Would you take us on adventures with you? Would you invade our homes? Would you invade our marriages? Would you invade our family life? Would you invade our our community groups and our small groups and our prayer groups and our alpha courses and and anything else? Would you invade invade Open Door? Would you invade all the homes that Open Door uh, look after and all the people represented? Would you invade, would you invade, would you invade in your glory? I, I ask for an outbreak of God. I say that very respectfully, but I praying for a God outbreak. Lord, uh, something fresh, something new, something greater than we've ever seen before, some greater revelations of you. We want to be captivated. It's for you, Lord. And we give you praise. We give you praise. Can we just start praising God? I don't want to sing. I just want to, would you just start lifting your voice, just start praising God. We praise you, Lord Jesus. We honor you, our King. We bless your name, our majestic one. There's none like you. You are the saviour of the world. You're worthy of it, Lord. You're you're the answer, the only answer. Thank you. We bless you. We honour you. Oh, God, God, thank you. Majestic God. Come on, press in. Raise your voice. Press in. Say, just start to speak. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. There's none like you. Who else but you? Wonderful God. Wonderful God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No one's left out. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there's no one in Jubilee left out of the adventures with you. It's it's not just for the few. It's for the whole church. Thank you, Lord. I pray for blessing upon blessing. As we stumble along in your grace, I pray for revelations. I pray for encounters. I, I pray that for a little will go a long way as we tell people a little bit about you. I just pray people will be drawn to us. I pray that more by more, more, and more and more, our lives will change. Your glory will be revealed. And side our nation and the nations, will know Jesus is King. And we adore him bless you, Lord. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here this morning. How wonderful to walk with God. How wonderful. Rest upon us as we go home. Rest upon us throughout these coming weeks and months. Take us through the, the, um, through the doors and into the adventures you have for us. We bless you, Lord. Amen.